-hmm. What is up, humans of the internet? Thanks for choosing to be here and watch this video. I got a special guest. You are here with Learning with Belvista Studios. And it is our opportunity to be curious about people that are tickling our brains and making us think differently. And my guest today is one of those humans. So thank you for being here, Eduardo. Thank you for inviting me, Kim. That's a lovely intro. <laughs> well, I like just want to get into it, but I did like I attended a workshop you did on kind of creativity, humor, bringing that into the L&D space. And I you mentioned a few things like improv and comedy. And I'm like, let's go there so I can look at transferable <laughs> skills and think differently. And that's what it's all about. So um, I know you do a lot of stuff in leadership, communication, emotional intelligence. That's, they're your babies. I know you got real human babies uh -huh. as well, but they're your like your work humans my first question is which one do you love more the human babies <laughs> or the professional babies <laughs> if you could go back in time and stop all of this madness nah. <laughs> um, yeah, go for it go for it okay first question you know how like with stories they're like every story has a beginning middle and end and that makes it mm -hmm. a good story are there good characteristics for a joke um uh, how much time do you have? No, first of all, uh, jokes are more the, um, the area of stand-up comedians or, you know, uh, improv is a different beast. And mm -hmm. I did used to do a lot more improv back, I don't know, five years ago. So I still remember a lot of it and still remember a lot of work. But stories are, however, a very good uh, material to go with when it comes to... Um, when it comes to connecting with people, connecting with audience. So I think for that, when it comes to just a pure joke, what makes a good joke? Mm -hmm. uh, there is different, there is a bunch of stuff. What I use is making an unusual connection between two previously unrelated concepts. That's the academic version of it. I'll get into okay. stories as well later. Yeah. But so the example I made is, um, I think during the workshop, um, what is orange and sounds like a parrot, which mm -hmm. to which the answer quite obviously is a carrot. And it's not a fantastically funny joke. Thank you for laughing. You're being polite. <laughs> but, but when it comes to, you, you were talking about creativity before, when it comes to um, our brain or the inner workings of it, what happens in our brain when we hear the joke is that some parts get activated that are very similar to the parts that get activated once you get the uh, once you get a good idea once you have your aha moment, which you know summarizing decades of research in neuroscience, it means that the, your brain perceives humor and ideation in a very similar way, meaning that if you're funny, you're creative, and if you're creative, you're also funny. So that's, uh, I think, a major aspect of this. So if you want to bring this into practice, well, if you're trying to design something, create something, even if you're an accountant, so not the design-related job, full respect for accountants, honestly, uh, <laughs> but you need to solve a specific problem where numbers don't fit or whatever you do, well, you're working creatively. So finding a funny solution, finding humor in that, whatever that means to you, associating different elements and laughing about it as well, that is part of the job. So then there is the whole storytelling aspect, but I think I've rambled enough for now. Okay. 
we will pause on that then. I feel like we, <laughs> I should have said to people as well, cover your ears if you don't want to know good stuff about jokes and stuff, because now anytime they watch a comedy special or like a show, they're going to be like, I know what they're doing. I know how this is going to end. Anyway, the spoiler alert came after the spoiler. So that's a shame no, that's people. The, <laughs> no, you, uh, thank you. You're, you're paying too much, too many compliments to me. I, I'm not a comedian. I kind of, uh, this is the basis. This is like that joke pounce, which I'm the king of. Uh, but if you watch a stand-up comedian that has a special, they, the elaboration behind it is much, much better than just that. Otherwise, mm. I could do it. But if I try that right now, chances are I'd bomb badly. <laughs> I'd laugh because I'd probably feel awkward for you. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to, I do want to get into improv in a minute, like, oh, later down the chat but I want to sure. stick specifically to um jokes and you might not know all the answers so that's okay as well I'm just being curious right now but sure. if you were to think about coming up with a joke or where does the spark of inspiration from jokes come from do you mean what makes the joke funny or where no, you get an like, idea from a joke yeah get the idea we'll go to the what makes it funny later but like yeah where do you get the idea like before you, when you're like is this something that might be possible that i'd like to explore? well um i'm just going to curtail myself to the application in at work because otherwise first of all we're exploring the world of comedy and i may not be the perfect guess for that but when it comes to humor and jokes applied to work and also mm. connected to what i was saying before um it comes from do you want to call it curiosity it comes from messing around and being relaxed about it it comes from knowing that there is a big possibility that whatever you're going to say or do may not be funny or may be funny but wouldn't work in real life yeah. so um I guess a good approach to this would be um, knowing that it's a lot of trial and error. And if you're using humor and using jokes and using that kind of work to uh, get to an idea, well, <clears throat> you need to let yourself free to explore, free to uh, come up with really, really, really bad and weird and unfunny stuff that <laughs> you know you won't use. But the point is that once it's out there, you get rid of it. And once you get rid of it, you don't need to think about it anymore. And you're free to think about what else can we have? Um, where does this lead me to? This joke wasn't funny. This idea wasn't funny. This unusual connection wasn't funny and didn't work. And it didn't work. But maybe if I get rid of this, I get something better. Or if I keep this and make another association with another element, hey, all of a sudden it becomes amazing. Yeah. Um, so I remember I give some examples for this that can also be connected to your question. Like the, um, I made the example of something that looks just very, very dumb and stupid, which was you run a, uh, Michelin star restaurant and you need to serve dessert, which is a piece of cake. Your sous mm -hmm. chef takes the cake, last slice, splatters it on the, on the dish. So you've got a crumbled, horrible piece of cake uh, instead of a dessert. And you can decide to not do anything with it, or you can decide to take a risk to come up with something funny that you know may not work and could backfire. 
and decide that you're going to serve it anyways and make it your signature dessert. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what Massimo Bottura did. He um, owns the a restaurant, which is a three Michelin star restaurant, which was voted best in the world. So, wow. and that's how he came up with his signature dessert. So where does a good idea like this come from? What kind of joke do you need to do? There is no rule. There is a lot of trial and error and associating all the different elements you have at your disposal to at some point, maybe see something that, huh, this is interesting. This makes sense. Let's do it. Let's try it out and see mm. if it works. Yeah, that's cool. It makes me, I wanted to go there because I want to kind of think differently around um, how we design training courses and mm -hmm. how we go from that analysis phase and what is going to go into the end solution or that learning event or events that we create. And what I love about that is it is an idea that you're putting out there and exploring and testing with different people and changing and adapting and not being tied to it. And it reminds me another way of like saying the same thing that you've said is I think it was Joe Rogan I was listening to talking about his process for writing jokes and he said he'll get an idea whatever it is see something at a party um, I don't know eating dinner at a restaurant anything mm -hmm. some sort of stimulus happens and then he goes mm, that could be something let me just write first of all so he just writes down ideas and he has notebooks or whatever and explores things and then when there's a time and place for that thing to be brought out, which I think of like when you gather inspiration for anything and you're like, that's a good article, that's a good TED talk, it might come up, you always hold on to those for whatever they might serve in the future. When he's ready to explore it because it's the right time to see, is this the thing that's going to bring life to this training solution or whatever, he uh, communicates it, he gives it a go at parties, like a with close immediate people where it's mm -hmm. just at a house party or something and then he'll watch people's reactions were they offended how did was it good did they laugh did it need to how did he feel when he was saying it and he's basically tweaking it each time and then what he does is he goes on a road trip to little I don't know what you call them little comedy places and tests them out on stage again looking for the feedback that so he can then iterate to then take it onto a bigger stage. I don't know what big stages are called. We'll just say something Edinburgh fucking comedy <laughs> festival or something. And then eventually it ends up in something like a Netflix special. And I think it's really um, important as L&D practitioners to realize that process that goes into something that is effective. Um, and that's why I wanted to go to, that way with the conversation. So, yeah. Sure. I mean, um, echoes a lot of, um, first of all, the, uh, it's interesting because it echoes a presentation that I saw Jimmy Chamberlain give uh, here in Berlin. For mm. the ones who don't know it, he is the drummer of Smashing Pumpkins, so historical oh, cool. band. And he was talking about um, UX, and actually user testing. And because he got into that, went into that a bit more in his later career, mm. though he's still playing. And he was asked on stage, like, so you're a musician. What the hell do you know about user testing, user research? What were you talking about? He's like, well, I know yeah. everything about it. We'd go on stage, try a new song, see if it worked. If the crowd reacted, would keep it. If it didn't, would tweak it around again. 
and it is basically doing the same process, the same thing that you were just describing. Yeah. And I think this is going beyond humor. I mean, humor is a big part of it. I think what you can get from there is connecting humor and research, research in the sense is more the idea of, is this funny? Do people react? What kind of a reaction am I getting from an audience? Mm. This perspective, this curiosity. So I have my own workshops, of course, uh, and um, I develop them across, well, I guess the core is a few years old, but every time I develop something else, I try something else, maybe I tweak something, or maybe mm. within an established thing, I decide I'm going to try this exercise I've never done before as well. So yeah. I will test it and everything is a testing ground. And even the jokes that I make that I try to make it entertaining and funny for people, because that's how you also get them to pay attention. Um, and care and give a damn about what you're doing, you um, you want to see what works and what doesn't. And this idea of using humor in the sense of being curious, looking at what elements you have at your disposal, connecting things and exploring, keeping on, uh, keeping on this silliness, this foolishness in a way, uh, does help you a lot and helps you come up with ideas, but also helps you test them out and see if they work yeah what are some ways you've tested with your own courses mm -hmm. what where would you be testing and how do you put it out there for testing well um one thing that i would do if if i want to test something new um i would say i would take a workshop that i know works as a whole so yeah. I know that it has a beginning and an end. It's been tested before and it's stable. And then I would add an element, something new that I haven't tried before in a place that I think would fit in a way that I think would fit. So, and then I would place it there. I know that uh, if that bombs completely, it might be a weird moment, but it's not going to uh, destroy the whole structure of the workshop. So it's going to be, um, it's going to be a test. And then in the end of the workshop, I will ask for general feedback. So I remember some exercises or a, um, one exercise that I did. I tried it once and everyone in the group wrote down, uh, all good, but this, this one, the way you did it made me feel uneasy. Okay, great. Lesson learned. Test your assumption. Your assumption is wrong. Change what it is. And the, the times after I've changed it, it was received much better. So... Yeah, it's very, very, very much hands down and who is in front of me, what can I do, how far can I go, and what can I say, basically. Yeah, that's cool. And I feel like in that situation, you're really being vulnerable and exposing yourself um, to whatever might come up. It is coming from a place of good intention. Um, and I guess the transferable skills there for others is to think about is areas such as facilitation, one-on-one um, -on -one conversations, team meetings. And there you, like you're describing, I'm adapting. I have a good intention, I'm putting it out there and I'm gonna change. And I think like something like facilitation and that is like hardcore, like you gotta adapt in the moment, you don't know what's gonna come up. And I think there's a lot you could probably learn or share from your improv background in Definitely. like just debunking that shite that goes through your head on how do I how do I deal with these stuff that might come up Definitely and I mean first of all I would say uh, if you're in this line of work 
if you're into training, facilitating, working with others, uh, you have to take massive risks and you need to be okay with that. Mm. You cannot be a presenter on stage that just follows a script and reads from the slides. That is not okay. Each training um, is, it's not a presentation, it's a conversation. Even though you're the only one using verbal cues, the crowd in front of you, the or around me, I prefer to work in a circle, is going to give you visual cues. So if you're speaking and everyone is on their phone, it's your responsibility and <laughs> part of your job to read it and change what you're doing. Yeah. Um, because otherwise it means that you're not listening to who is in front of you and you're not listening to the crowd. That's how it works. Mm. And when it comes to um, improv in a way, one of the things you do learn is also to listen to the audience. If, if you hear that something that a specific direction you're taking is funny, well, that's something worth exploring. That's something worth getting into a bit more, but you got to listen to what's happening mm. if, if, off stage. And if instead you see that nobody cares about what you're talking about and you've got something that nobody can relate to on stage going on, well, you've got to change something else. And of mm. course, it's not, it's not just stuff that happens on stage. Uh, in terms of where you go with the story, what you do, you've got to make it relatable to people. So, mm. I mean, why are there so many movies around about uh, couple problems, breakups, and getting back together? Why are there so many romantic comedies in a way? Because we can all relate one way or another to it. Uh, mm. to them so that kind of story is something that we've all felt in one way or another so we can connect and bringing it back to facilitation then or uh, workshops well you've got to know your audience you've got to connect more to them and you've got to adapt to what they're talking about so if you've yeah. got a bunch of designers working on creativity you've got probably some people with a certain type of mindset with a certain set of skills that want to work in a specific way Whereas mm. if you're working with a bunch of engineers, that's another mindset and another way of working. And you have to start adapting. You cannot go one size fits all. That is mm. wrong. And you've, even though you make a decision beforehand, you've got to be willing to change it and you need to be flexible. So yeah, unless you're willing to do that, um, I don't think this is, uh, you might, I don't think you might be reaching your full potential. Let's put it this way. Hmm. That's nice, right? Um, well, I, I guess in those situations, especially with improv, like it's thinking on your feet, like you, you're, you've got to listen to someone else, think of your response and respond. And then you're saying there's a third thing of listen to the audience. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. And I feel like that's very stressful. Um, but I do believe it's like a skill you can learn over time. Like you're probably disastrous at it when you start, but if, <laughs> There's so many, like, I'd say this is a thing for a lot of people is putting themselves out there to think on their feet in those stressful situations. Any tips that you'd say, just try this the next time. Listen, uh, everything you said is true, but if you want to break down what the thing you, what's the thing you need to do the most is listen. Uh, it's not about thinking on your feet. It's not about winging it. It's not having a catch reply is listen to what the other person is saying because if there is one thing that uh, all that work trains you on is to communicate to and communication has to start with be aware of what's happening around you 
what reality are you building? What inputs can you get from reality? What clues is the other person giving you? What can you bite on and develop something on? And uh, when I started doing this, I I don't come from training and facilitation. I come from consulting, actually, uh, specifically consulting on renewable energy policies. So extremely different, extremely dull in a way. Though I was amazing about it, I didn't like it anymore. But one of the things that I noticed uh, that after even after a year of just doing improv, which was just a hobby back then, gave me was the fact that I I noticed I could communicate, uh, negotiate, uh, persuade, present, uh, solve conflicts, ideate so much better than people that were supposed to be so much better than me on paper. So people with 30 years more experience. And I was like, well, hold on a second. This is, there is something wrong here. Why am I managing to do this? And why are they not? And that sent me kind of down the rabbit hole. Started with improv and then uh, in across years, I, I still kept the core and I gradually went into leadership, neuroscience, research, communication, and yeah, and more nerdy stuff than I'd like to admit. <laughs> What, um, what are the key things then from that communication that you had that were putting you in that position? What do you mean communication that I had? Uh, well, the ways that you were learning from improv and you were communicating better, you were able to influence better, articulate ideas, it sounds like, better than those people that had been in it for 30 years. Well, first of all, it was just getting used to it, getting used to, honestly, if you... Um... If you need to go on stage in a basement on a Thursday night at 11 in front of three bored people, and that's your show, once you manage to go past that fear, a room full of CEOs is nothing. No, like it's literally just, it's not even, doesn't even compare in terms of pressure. Mm. Um, And what I, uh, so I guess one part was the, just going through the training and everything. And the other part was realizing how wrong a bunch of stuff uh, that I was told is. So take, for example, presentations. So Mm. speaking on stage, uh, I went through business school, I went through consulting and training and the work, uh, all the trainings that I've been given were about uh, make sure your body language is good. Make sure it's on point. Make sure you know the slides. Sure, don't turn your back to the audience, but make sure that you have a good flow, that you can repeat, that you feel confident, that you um, that you can relate to the slides. Make sure you can you have a good space present. And everything that I've said and that I've been said is only related to you, to the person on stage. It's about make sure that you look good, make sure that your body language is good, make sure that your slides are good. And nobody ever, ever told me, is the audience listening? Are they, are they giving a shit or are they all on their phones or falling asleep? Yeah. That's, that should be the first thing. Like it, otherwise we're just wasting everybody's time. What's the point? So I guess this idea of um, looking at the other person observing, listening, like not only just being aware at large of Mm. what is happening around you instead of being in your head and thinking about how perfect your language needs to be. Well, that's a major difference. So I would encourage 
if you don't want to go through this type of training because it's not your thing and it shouldn't be necessarily yours, just next time you give a presentation, look at the audience. Are they listening to you? If so, good. If not, how can you make them listen? Mm. And there is no answer. Just try different things. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Um, in terms of listening, sometimes I think if they say if you're trying to be a good listener, don't freaking be coming up with your solution in the head as the person's still telling you their thing. I've, have you got any specific tips on how to create space when you've listened to create space to then respond? Like one thing I do, I know when I'm facilitating workshops and there's like 50 billion com things coming at me is I'll say to the people, I'll say, just give me a moment. I'm just processing what you've all just said. Do you have any other tips that you think are useful in that space? No, no. Actually, that's similar to what I do. I acknowledge, yeah. for, exa for example, like someone says something, uh, they got three hands up. I will point to people saying that I've acknowledged them and, and mm, take it like in that. or say, okay, thank you for this. I will uh, I'll keep it at the back of my head. Uh, let me get some more input. And then indeed, just... Put it out in the open. Like, give me a second to think and to reflect about it. And I know this can be uncomfortable for a bunch of people because it makes the, the general feeling is that it makes them look like they don't know the answer. And because they feel like they're looking like they don't know the answer, they get stressed. And because they get stressed, they start to uh, shiver or try to say something and they don't come up with a good idea. But chill. Nobody's going to notice if you take 20 seconds to think about things. Nobody cares. If anything, they would appreciate if you do it properly that, hey, this person is actually listening to me and it's taken his or she's taken the time to reflect on it. Mm. So, yeah, I would say be honest with the idea that you need to think about it for a second and that is fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, with... I feel like you're, you sound like you're into design thinking and stuff. Um, and the improv, to me, it creates the space for divergent thinking. Um, mm -hmm. We're really big on human-centered design. Are there, and what divergent thinking is, is basically all ideas out there, anything is possible, blue sky, um, really, yeah, you can't rule anything out for people that want to know. The opposite then is convergent, where you try to like rein in ideas and start selecting ones that you might want to take further. I feel like improv, and I, there was one thing I've learned from improv, my minor little exposure mm -hmm. to it, was an activity called Yes And. And that has mm -hmm. like, when I'm facilitating workshops and we're trying to do a conversation or an activity to stop people being like, oh, we tried it before and it didn't work or any of that kind of stuff that gets thrown mm -hmm. up, like a negative response to we're here to build a solution. What other um, activities do you have that you can people can experiment with? Um, I would go f uh, a bit a step deeper uh, or a step earlier than Yes And. I think that Yes And has, uh, like this is the, me putting on the improv nerd hat for a yeah, second yes and it, is <laughs> somehow misleading it's a misleading way of working uh, because it you think that you need to say the words yes and which um 
it just gets into a bit of a complex nerdy talk. But what I like to do beforehand, and especially when you talked about divergent and convergent thinking, is going one step behind. So even before yes and is in accepting and adding to something, um, I actually think that yes and is is connected to the is a good representation of yes divergent and convergent thinking because you mm. accept what's being said and and you connect it to something else. Yeah. Uh, and this is what I usually like to do. I like to separate uh, like in two different times and spaces, divergent and convergent thinking. And that's a necessity. One of the best pieces of research I've ever read uh, is called Aha and Haha, which is the PhD thesis by Dr. Barry Kudrovitz of the MIT that looked at ideation and humor, uh, came up with this discovery, which is the fact that there is a connection between the quantity of ideas you generate, sorry, elements that you generate mm. and their creative quality. So this is why in, uh, in the beginning of any brainstorming session, people just say like, hey, yeah, that don't judge each other's ideas, come up with whatever you want, don't feel judged. And that's like, everybody feels judged if you say that, everybody does, especially if the boss is in the room. So there are different ways of putting it. The thing is that you need to list uh, at least 15 ideas before coming up with creative stuff. And the goal here is go for quantity. Don't think in terms of quality. Uh, think of as many ideas as you can, generate as many elements as you can, make it clear that dumb stuff needs to be said because maybe right now it won't be said, uh, it won't do anything, but later on, hey, we can connect it to something else. Um, that's technically called the novel tale, according to Kudovic. So the first 15 ideas is just basic stuff that anyone can come up with. And then yeah. you bring it on afterwards, like the real different stuff. Mm. And on top of that, there is, um, I don't remember the reference right now, but it's a meta analysis on brainstorming that was done in 89. that looked at a number, like 3000 people brainstorming in different groups. What made it work and what did it? So nothing, so the structure of the session didn't matter, had no influence on the generation of ideas. The presence of people talking or not talking had no influence of the gener on the generation of, of ideas. The only thing that could make or break a brainstorming session or anything related to it is whether there are social pressures within the group. So if... I have a crush on a colleague and that colleague doesn't like the other one. And the other one wants to raise from the boss and doesn't want to look stupid. All of that creates that kind of social pressure, which in turn makes you feel embarrassed, makes you feel that like you, don't, you cannot look stupid, you cannot look silly and you need to censor yourself, which in turn means that you will limit the amount of ideas you will generate to the ones that anyone around the world can have and you will willingly not access everyone else's creative elements. And those are the ones in divergent thinking that, you will, that will allow you to really make far away and weird connections. But sometimes mm. that will lead to fantastic results. Yeah. Have you got any specific activities that you do for that, that enable those things you're talking about? Um, there is this exercise that uh, I first heard from uh, Barry Kudovitz himself, um, which I 
well, he calls it tigers and bears, where you uh, you you pair up with someone else and you simply start listing as many reasons as you possibly can for which bears are awesome or tigers are awesome. And it doesn't need to make sense. If you say tigers are awesome because they jump on rainbows for the purpose of the game, it's fine. And um, then you have one minute for the bear, one minute for the tiger, you decide who is who in the couple. And then the winner is the one that uh, managed to list more reasons. And what happens then is that you see this in action. So the first few options will be, well, it's, uh, they got nice fur, big claws, big teeth, nice eyes, live in the woods, live in the jungle, blah, 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 stuff that we all know. But at some point you run out of ideas and you've got this pressure, but no stress because it's a game, we don't care. So you come yeah. up with funny and silly stuff that makes you laugh. So again, back to humor connected to creativity. And people start laughing and people start coming up with these ideas and in the end, you go through the concept being like, well, if you do this, if you manage to purely play around, um, discuss, enjoy, or just but give each other permission to be silly about it, well, that's where you can get a very, very interesting uh, soil for ideas to generate. Yeah, it was cool. I experienced that and... I remember like, yeah, the normal thing is like the, what you said, and then you get to a point where you need new ideas and you think, I, I don't want to say the silly things, but then you've got a goal and then you say the first one and there's this internal permission. And I can see yeah. that, yeah, when you, if you're looking for actual business problem solving ideas, unless you do this kind of activity, they're not going to put out and ha be diverg divergent thinkers. And I love that. And it also built that it kind of leveled your participants, right? So if you think mm -hmm. about sometimes you have executives and other people like team members, whoever, all sorts of levels in the room. And you can find that uh, people won't speak up because the exec is the leader. What they say <laughs> is going to end up as the solution. But I felt like it was a great activity to really pe put people on the same linear hierarchy so that all opinions and expressions were valid and it yeah it would contribute yeah. to that divergent thinking so that was really cool that is a good idea. definitely definitely and what you said the presence of the like the boss is there they actually call it the hippo the highest paid person's opinion ah. because uh, it's <laughs> like you don't want to look silly in front of your boss but yeah. I'm, wi I'm willing to argue and I'm willing to defend this until the rest of my professional days. <laughs> if you're not being silly when you're trying to ideate or come up with something or come up with a solution, you're doing a bad job. If you're not saying stupid shit, then you're doing a bad job. Then judging whether that's useful or not is a, a problem of convergent thinking. That's when you start caring. But if at this point you're not just blurting out anything as silly as it is, you're doing a bad job. And if you hear a brainstorming room where nobody's laughing, you know that they're doing a bad job. And vice versa, if people are giggling, then there is something going on there that is amazing. That's cool. I like it. Uh, it sounds like you are really into your research. Like, yes. yes. Okay. 
what is some <laughs> this is something that I do not do any of except in mm -hmm. formats like this so I'd love to know what bits of research anywhere that, that you've come across in any walk of life but have made up the core kind of way that you approach the work that you do now John Cleese John Cleese uh, yeah he is one of my personal heroes I have the utmost respect for uh, like what they did with Monty Python and I mean, if you want to look at groundbreaking comedy and silliness that's that's the way to go and you can find it around if I came across this a few years ago um, it's a speech on creativity in management you can find it somewhere still somewhere and it's incredible the way I mean what he says um, based on his experience as a creative person much more than pretty much everyone has ever been I'm willing to argue uh, like what his process has been what he learned from it how that has been transferred and later discovered by a, via research so research kind of caught up with it but also how the whole thing is presented so mm. uh, there is this big discussion one of the I think one of the groundbreaking points for me has been the point he makes about um, the difference between formal and being serious. A lot of times we think about we need to be serious, while in reality we think about the fact that we need to be formal. We cannot be silly. We cannot. We need to be in a shirt and tie. We don't. Uh, we don't come to the office in jeans and blah 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 blah. Mm. And the point is like, well, what's the point of it? What is the reason for that? Sure, you don't want to look shabby. Formality can have a reason for being in specific areas. But if you need to work together to ideate, to uh, enjoy uh, coming up with a solution and creating something new, what's the point of all of that if not putting more stress on you? Mm. You can still be silly. You can still be funny. You can still play. By be and at the same time, you can be extremely serious about it. Take the name Lego Serious Play. That says it all. Yeah, very cool. What other ones? Uh, other ones? I'm guessing, checking my thing here. Yeah, there is a book by Alan Alda. Okay. If you don't know him, he's a Hollywood level actor. Uh, he watched the latest big movie, I think, was Bridge of Spies, but he's fairly advanced with his age. Uh, still extremely, extremely sharp. He wrote a book called If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face? Which is all about how we communicate, how we interact with each other, uh, with each other and how we... Um, connecting it also to research and to improv as well and to what, what makes it so that we can get a point across. It's really enjoyable. It's really good. So that's, uh, that's another one. Mm. And what specific things have you taken from that that you're applying? From, I guess, Alda, I, I always quote him on one, um, on something that he did, mm. and which I think is a great example. He came up um, a few years ago. Uh, it's all about communication, this one, not creativity, but communication. Yeah. If you want to work in a group and create, you need to communicate clearly. So that's also the basic of it. Um, he came up with this idea. Um, Let's give a, let's say, $10,000, $20,000 prize to anyone who can explain as clearly as possible what a flame is, what fire is. 
from a scientific perspective, it's, it was called the flame challenge. So you have to explain um, heat dissipation, uh, chemical transformations, what happens. So what is a flame? And the thing is that the judges of that are, part of them at least, are 10-year-old kids. So at this point, you have a challenge. You need to explain something scientifically accurate, and you need to do it well, but at the same time, make sure that little kids can understand you. Mm. And you see people coming, like scientists, coming up with any sort of ideas, you know, making animations, singing songs about it, making dances, playing with puppets, whatever. But that also tells you one thing, uh, even in communication, what does form, and also we can reconnect it also to speaking on stage, what does formality do? The only thing that matters is, can you get the point across? Or more importantly, can you make sure that the other person understands you? And in communication, that's the only thing that matters. In creativity, if you want to bring an element to the room, well, make sure that other people get it. And the mm. only way you can do that is if you start, again, by listening to others, looking at what they're uh, up to, looking at whether they're present, and then deciding how to bring your point across in that context. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> I just went down a rabbit hole of a rant. Uh, I can get very nerdy sometimes, but still, it's a great book. Yeah, that's cool. When, hmm. when you are facilitating, working with leaders in whatever format that might be, training, whatever, and at the end of the day or the event, how do you know that you've been successful for you, that you've embedded the knowledge or changed behavior? Well, um, different ways. Usually, uh, well, of course, I get a little feedback form very quickly in the end for me to, hey, uh, a very basic start, Five stop, continue. Service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, I have a few different questions, but like very yeah. basic of this. And then for me, it's not so much what they tell me at the end, but I, I tend to notice it during the interactions. If mm. by the, towards the end of the workshop, they're still smiling, engaging, and they're still engaged after four hours of work. And my workshops are really intense. I, um, I had to slow down the amount of content I was delivering at some point because uh, people, it was just way too much. Uh, but if I see that they're still happy, engaged, and maybe they come to me with questions, even after that amount of work and that time, then I know mm. that I've done something. And in general, if, they're, if I see that throughout the workshop, they have laughed, they have enjoyed the time together, and they have had a good emotional memory of what the workshop has been, then I can count that as a success. If people are laughing at the end, if people are still enjoying it, then I know that they will remember because uh, emotion is what frames our memory. So if I have a good interaction with someone and it's really uh, uplifting, positive, makes me feel good, I will remember it better. And that's the idea. So uh, we all remember our first kiss. Nobody remembers our first dish of pasta, despite mm -hmm. me being Italian and pasta being a very emotional part of me. But the emotional connection that I had with that moment was so strong that it's burnt in my memory. The rest, it didn't have a strong emotional connection, so I tend to forget it. Mm. 
bring it back to a workshop, if I see that people are somehow emotionally engaged, then I know that there is something bringing, there is something that they will yeah. be taking home with them. Yeah. What are your secret tactics for creating that emotional impact? Um, welcoming them with a smile. To be honest, I love, whenever I'm in a room, um, love to uh, put on some music, uh, not be strict on time, not be, um, you know, hey, we have to go through all of this, but take 15 minutes to welcome people, chit chat, have a smile, maybe have a bunch of flowers on the table, which are always nice and uplifting, have some melodic, I use some melodic electronic music to, you know, welcome people in, have a coffee, chill, relax, let's have a chat, you know, down to earth kind of um, relaxed environment and then that sets a very good vibe for the rest mm. and i can give you an example some um this year at some point i was doing a workshop it was a series and at some point uh the place we were at had didn't have the room ready so we had to scramble and find something else at the very at the very last moment and because of that there was no time or no no reason because the whole vibe was messed up because of the irritation in everyone to you know kind of set up a good vibe the the behavior of the place that was holding hosting us kind of brought it down for everyone so we still went through with the workshop we still did something but everyone could notice that the vibe was really different so that makes it it's still an emotion but it's a terrible one and connecting to the content I don't think they would have enjoyed it. They had enjoyed it as much as much as they would have in a different setup. It's all connected. Interesting. Okay, I want to let you. I, to... <laughs> I see that. I see the little hamsters in your brain just running on the wheel. Yes, they are very fast. Yes, cool, cool. <laughs> and rubber. Um, I want to allow the space for you to get nerdy again. All right. What? What should people know about the brain that they might not know, but it will help them be better in the L&D space? Um, I'm not an expert on the brain. I'm, I like to study the brain per se. Mm. Uh, I would say look into it, mm. study it. And um, there is a bunch of different, just read, read up. And I'm, I'm not anyone to uh share like what people should know or i, I don't okay. think I'm, I'm 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 the right person to say that what i will though say is that the more you get into serious research which is mm. not sexy i mean uh you should see the database at this point that i have of academic papers and numbers and things and it's like god damn it why do i do that why do i do this to myself but mm. once you get into taking the news directly from the source or if you if you get a book that is based on uh, proper scientific and referenced and accepted research you can see the difference with the amount of crap that is being presented as truth so there is a lot of um I'm guessing because of, well, everyone luckily that I work with in the LMD space is extremely competent so it's not uh I exclude them from this example just want to make uh, <laughs> make sure of that but outside of it i noticed that there is so much misunderstandings misconceptions and ignorance because people haven't taken the time to study so if you're serious about this 
And if you're still talking to me right now and still listening, you probably are. Start reading, take books, take anything that inspires you and uh, just take the time to study, read. And if you're interested about the brain, there is plenty of books that will give you a lot. And specifically, mm. also if you're interested, like in, um, like I was interested in humor and connection to how your brain works and the, um, the connection to creativity, there is plenty of stuff on there, scientific, mm. but also relevant. And I mean, don't take it from me, take it from someone who's done the work and went down the rabbit hole properly. So follow up on those steps and incorporate that in your training as you see fit. But yeah. just don't don't base yourself on blogs or whatever people just say. Or you can if they reference it. Yeah. Well, that's a really good point because um, how I guess how would people know that this is a valid source of information? Um, usually, I so for example, I have an an emotional intelligence test, an emotional intelligence book out uh, and. Online, even in, even if it's the test, uh, if you look at it, it's fifty questions. But at the end, yeah. I reference every single point, and every point I made a, a, a with a couple of exceptions. Everything is a scientific paper. Everything has been published on an academic journal. So you usually, apart from a few of them that publish for money, they're called predatory. Um, uh, most of them, in order to, if you want, if you have a paper and you want to get it published. Uh, on a journal, most of yeah. them read the paper, review it, challenge it, make sure that is properly researched. And I'm guessing you can never have the certainty, but you have yeah. a very much, high, much, much higher chance of that source being reputable and you being able to trust what's written in there. Yeah. So my take is if someone quotes videos or youtube or wikipedia take it with a pinch of salt if someone uh, quotes boring and dull academic papers that's that might be worth it okay <laughs> i know where i will be Not yeah. <laughs> um well i guess it is a good point <laughs> a point around the referencing because otherwise it if they don't maybe they're just not doing the nice thing and actually referencing someone else's work but it is just an opinion um, yeah. or someone's perception or experience. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. In terms of um, where to get those journals, like for me here, we're in Australia, like we can just go to the library website and then that links off to academic mm -hmm. journals that you have access to. Mm -hmm. Is there any others you'd recommend for people to explore? Uh, I usually just use Google or Google Scholar. It's oh, yeah. uh, a no. bunch of times or ResearchGate even. Um, there is also, I think, some someone not something not fully legal, uh, not torrent, but a website that keeps on shutting off. But, so I'm not yeah. <laughs> taking with a pinch of salt uh, yeah. that as well. Uh, but most of the time, I do find what I need on Google Scholar or on yeah. ResearchGate or Academia.edu, and yeah, it's not always easy to start on a new topic specifically because you have this. And you have a, a universe of uh, different papers that keep on referencing each other. So it's difficult to find your way around. Mm. But it's difficult, but it's not impossible. So I will go for that. Yeah, cool. All right. Thank you. Uh, 
This has been a delight. It's a smorgasbord mm. of for me. <laughs> ideas for people really to just like spark their own research journey and to think that resonated. I want to go explore it more and apply. So thank you for taking us on this crazy ass journey. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. <laughs> no, lovely, beautiful. lovely. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. And I just put a note for technology uh, that allows us to connect from Berlin to uh, all the way to Australia. I don't remember exactly where you are, but still absolutely amazing. It's, yeah, uh, really it's lovely to meet like-minded people and share things and have discussions. So yes, thank you so much for having me. All good. Well, thanks everyone for choosing to learn with us at Belvista Studios and you can go explore and connect with Eduardo. We'll put his LinkedIn in the description of the video. Take action on something that's resonated from this video and apply it to your life and be a better practitioner. Peace out. What's up, awesome human? Thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of myself and the Belvista Studios team for continuously choosing to learn with us. We really appreciate it. If the tips and the insights and the context resonate with you and you want to take your skills to the next level or you want to make your life way easier, you will love our Creator Hub. The Creator Hub is a place for people like you and us. Basically, it's the stuff that we use internally at Bell Vista Studios and then we just share it publicly with you. The Creator Hub is created by instructional designers for instructional designers. And what you'll love there at the moment is we've got a quiz could I be a better instructional designer that has so much tips in the feedback if you're interested in human-centered design or just taking your skills to the next level in terms of the solutions you're creating, the problems you want to solve. But in there as well, aren't we cute? That's us. Um, but we've got the coaching courses, freebies, give us gratitude, and also we've got some templates. And basically they're always around the lens of learning experience design, instructional design, and e-learning. So a human-centered design focus is very much what we're about at Bell Vista Studio. So putting your learners at the heart of a solution and creating something for their needs. So there's the human-centered design stuff, and then we've also got the business stuff. So this is the stuff they don't teach you about when you want to become a freelancer or a consultant in the instructional design world. So go check it out. The link is in the description. You can check out everything that is available for you. Thank you for choosing to learn with us. Continuously invest in your skills. You will be rewarded as an instructional designer. Share this stuff, share it with other people because when we are better instructional designers, we create better solutions that create better humans that create a better world. So we have a very important role and I'm excited to be on this journey with you. Have an awesome day.